This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, fighting to hold politicians accountable for better health care. Find out more at carp.ca. afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Bob Comsick for Libby Snymer. At least one American financial institution is telling its asset management advisors to plan for clients to live to 100 and reviving the debate about coming up with new names for low-grade prostate cancer that do not include the C word. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Fantastic Voyage, the 1966 book about scientists in a mini spaceship who travel inside the human brain to treat a blood clot, could soon be a reality. A California-based startup has developed tiny robots that can go inside human brains to treat rare diseases. The injectable robots guided to its target, which could be a tumor, using magnets that don't pose a risk to the body. It's hoped the first clinical trials on humans will be held within the next two years for the treatment of Dandy Walker syndrome, as well as malignant cancerous brain tumors often considered inoperable. Zoomers already use the subscription pricing model for many things, but what about travel? Alaska Airlines recently launched a subscription service for West Coast flyers offering one-cent flights on top of a monthly fee for flights between California, Nevada, and Arizona. And for $2,500 a month, pass holders can book luxury travel accommodations at premium vacation rentals and high-end hotels. While these membership services usually don't make sense for the average traveler, they could be a good fit for a niche market. What I can remember more than anything else is that the five of us stayed together An incredible Holocaust survivor has died 77 years after her liberation from a concentration camp. 98-year-old I.B. Nil died Easter Sunday, the same day she was freed from Auschwitz in Nazi-occupied Poland in April 1945. I.B. went on to become a well-known speaker and author about the Holocaust and received a British Empire Medal in the Queen's Honours List in 2017. She wrote an autobiography, The Woman Without a Number and The Woman with Nine Lives, and she often told her story to young people to educate them about the Holocaust. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky is one of five to receive the Kennedy Award for Defending Democracy. The Kennedy Family and John F. Kennedy Library Foundation have been giving out the Profile and Courage Award since 1989 to public servants who have made courageous decisions without regard to personal or professional consequences. In addition to Zelensky, three American politicians, as well as a Georgia election department worker, are also being honored for their actions in the aftermath of the 2020 U.S. presidential election. 
Mattel has released a Queen Elizabeth Barbie doll to celebrate both her 96th birthday and Platinum Jubilee. Dressed in an ivory gown with blue ribbon, the doll features details drawn from the monarch's past, including the tiara worn by the Queen on her wedding day and pink and blue ribbons modeled after ones given to her by her father and grandfather. Even the packaging is regal, inspired by Buckingham Palace with red carpeting, a crest-shaped logo, and a badge marking the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. The toy maker says it's part of the Barbie tribute collection to honor visionary individuals with an outstanding impact and legacy. I'm Bob Comsick, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Now, more proof that traditional retirement, and especially retirement planning, is long gone. J.P. Morgan telling its asset management advisors to plan for clients to live to 100 if they are in excellent health and non-smokers. This caught the attention of David Kravit, vice president at Zoomer Media, who's written books and blogs about the reinvention of aging. The big, big issue is that the old model is gone and the new model is here. And the old model was that you retired at 65. And when you did so, you had maybe 10, 12 years, 15 years to go before the end. So all of your planning and all of your assumptions about how to spend that time were based on that relatively short window. There obviously were outliers, people who live much longer, but the, the norm was that. So you only needed enough money to last you for 10, 12 years. There was no point reinventing yourself or having any new kind of a career because you were going to be gone pretty soon. And the best that you could aspire to for those 10 years was hopefully to be relatively free of pain and illness and decay and or decline, let's say, and maybe, you know, have a relatively gentle glide path to the finish line. And that model dominated and still to some extent dominates our language and our planning and our financial planning models and our social models and everything. But all of a sudden, gee, you may have 20 years left or 30 years left. How do you fund that? So now we see people working past the age of retirement because they need the money uh, or working because they want to stay useful and they, they don't want to spend 20 or 30 years sitting around doing nothing. So there's there's plans, there's reinvention, there's a whole second, uh, they're looking at it as a, a positive time of life in which there's opportunity for growth and discovery and exploration and new things and not just the management of um, inevitable decline. So while J.P. Morgan's clients are Americans, longevity knows no borders, as you know. So how about Canadians? How do we plan to make sure we don't outlive our savings? Same thing is happening here, exactly. We need to keep working because most of us are underfunded uh, in terms of a 20 or 30 year uh, lifespan. So um, who's got enough money for that length of time? And that's why we see the explosive growth here in, in reverse mortgages, because there's just so much equity tied up uh, in people's homes that they can tap into. It's not for everybody, but it's a topic that more people are looking at because they have so much uh, asset value that they could monetize if they wanted to, to make the money last longer. And if you look at 100 years as your horizon, you look at everything differently. You look at your housing, you look at your money, you look at your occupation, you look at your relationships. Everything changes 
when you apply that lens. And I liked this story when I saw it because here's a kind of a blue chip endorsement of, you know, the trends I'm seeing everywhere. What other trends are you noticing that the rest of us should be aware of and paying attention to without giving out all that much about the third book so we read it? Well, that's a good point. But, um, well, one is, of course, in the J.P. Morgan sense, the financial planning industry is responding with new products and services and a whole new mindset. It's interesting that um, they're actually starting to certify financial planners as senior specialists. So they got some initials after their names. And, you know, uh, our listeners can look at those certifications and examine what's behind them and how credible they are. But they're trying to specialize in that real estate industry is also uh, creating senior real estate specialists with specific uh, skills in that area. The other one I've talked about briefly a moment ago is that people are not retiring on schedule at 65. That model is gone. Some are, but some are uh, working part-time, side hustles, home offices, franchises, new businesses, all of the above. So the absoluteness of retirement, you know, bang, 65, stroke at midnight, you're gone. That That is completely long gone. And I think the biggest one is um, the idea that I've got some decades here. I could reshape the next phase of my life into something very proactive and exciting. So on the one hand, I do want to manage physical fitness. Uh, I do want to exercise. I'm worried about brain health. I'm worried about diet and nutrition. I'm well aware of, you know, illnesses and chronic conditions and so on that can occur uh, as I get older. But on the other hand, it's not a defensive time of my life where the best I'm going to do is keep pain and suffering at a distance, I can actually do new stuff that's exciting. So that's a very big trend. And then I would say the uh, the other one I'm keeping an eye on is the explosive growth of age tech technology to uh, ameliorate aging and to en- en- enhance aging, particularly aging in place or living in place, staying in your home. Companies like Samsung and Best Buy are making multi-hundred million dollar investments in technology that um, enhances our ability to um, do more as we age. And I think that uh, it's a little early here, Bob, to talk about it, um, not in terms of the book, but in terms of what's happening in society. It's a little early, but some experts are now really saying that um, healthcare will be moving into the home and that the hospital of the future will be the home. And that's a very exciting trend um, to be watching. And I'm not sure that our health policy wonks are really paying much attention to it yet. David Kravitz, Vice President, Zoomer Media Chief, Membership Officer of the Zoomer's Advocacy Group, CARP, and author of a couple of books on the reinvention of aging. Thanks for your time. Thanks so much, Bob. Take care. That was David Kravitz, Vice President at Zoomer Media and Chief Membership Officer of the Zoomer's Advocacy Group, CARP, who's written books about the reinvention of aging. You can also read David's weekly column at everythingzoomer.com. I'm Bob Comsick, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, the medical community is again debating whether to rename low-risk prostate cancer and drop the alarming C-word. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, offering members-only discounts that can save you thousands of dollars a year. Find out more at carp.ca. 
prostate cancers, the fourth most common cancer in this country, in men, it's number one. A new medical paper published in the American Journal of Clinical Oncology is reviving debate about dropping the word cancer when patients receive the results of low-risk biopsy findings. For a Canadian perspective, I spoke with Dr. Tony Finelli, surgical oncologist at Princess Margaret Cancer Centre and head of its urology division. This has been a debate now for the past few years, and it's a real challenge because under the microscope, the features of these low-grade diseases, for example, prostate cancer, do have the signs that are consistent with something that should be called a cancer. Having said that, we know that these cancers have a very low risk of ever spreading, and so sometimes patients will be overtreated. So we're trying to find a balance between recognizing biology, but respecting patients' wishes and not exposing them to unnecessary harm. Very tricky, isn't it, to come up with the right answer on this? It is. And the two camps are usually the surgeons and radiation doctors and the pathologists, because it's the pathologist who renders the diagnosis when they look at the tissue under the microscope. Which camp are you in? I would favor a change, but a change that acknowledges that it is a neoplasm, a malignancy. And I know that's playing with words, but I can't help having been now in practice for many years and experienced the impact a cancer diagnosis has on patients, even if you take the time to de-escalate and explain to them the low risk associated with it. Have names of other low-risk cancers been changed over the years, doctor? Uh, People have tried. You know, this is a very similar story in breast, thyroid, small kidney tumors. Uh, Without a doubt, we have uh, an epidemic of what we call incidentalomas, little growths that are now appreciated because of greater access to medical care and especially imaging, widespread use of imaging. So, for example, in breast, there's something known as DCIS, ductal carcinoma in situ. Again, carcinoma, the word is there. It suggests that it's only in the lining. Most of these patients do well, the vast majority. Uh, What we're hearing is in the prostate cancer world to take on a bit of an acronym or wording that suggests, again, this word, low metastatic potential. So helping patients realize that it is a malignancy, but the real risk of cancer is spread. And that's the challenge. So what we're trying to do by changing the word is helping patients understand that indeed what you have is a tumor. It has to be called a malignant tumor because it has features under the microscope suggesting malignant tumor, but the behavior is favorable and the risk of spread is low. It sounds like you'd be more in favor of, or you are more in favor of active maybe surveillance as opposed to necessarily immediately treating or suggesting that someone have surgery. Or again, it's not black and white. It really depends on the stage of the cancer, of the prostate cancer. I I am in favor of active surveillance for low-risk malignancies. When you also see the downside of intervention, the potential consequences to function, depending on which organ we're speaking to, you can't help but, you know, advocate 
for a more conservative approach. A big part of my research is active surveillance for both low-risk prostate cancer and small kidney tumors. I would say that in my practice, it probably requires more time with surveillance patients than it does with treated patients because of this ongoing follow-up and recognition that they still have the tumor within them. It takes more time, but in terms of how you find this works in the cases with the patients, I'm sure that the patients appreciate that approach. What's the feedback been from from patients in cases like this? The vast majority of patients uh, have now come around to appreciating and and accepting active surveillance. There are a few who are very honest and will say, you know, I'm, I want this out. It's on my mind every day. I want to be alive. And you have to be careful because I think some surgeons maybe go too far and they, they won't operate. But there are patients who probably should have treatment if it's been that incapacitating to their mind and their ability to function on a day-to-day basis. So I do upfront active surveillance, but I would say about less than 5% of people with low-risk disease will be treated by myself upfront. And also then those on surveillance, over five years, about a quarter of them to a third will go on to some form of treatment because their follow-up has demonstrated progression and change in the type of cancer they have, but not necessarily spread. The few patients who have been disappointed are the ones who felt that they had been let down by surveillance because now they have worse disease on follow-up and should have had it dealt with initially. Any closing thought or message you'd like to leave us with? I would say to the patients, do your homework. There's nothing wrong with seeking a second opinion. There's advocacy groups, patient support groups out there. Many of them have informed individuals, and there's a number of physicians. And I think the physicians who offer you all options and take the time explaining the pros and cons of each are the physicians that you would want to um, have follow you. Dr. Tony Finelli, surgical oncologist, Princess Margaret Cancer Center, head of the urology division at the hospital. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. That was Tony Finelli, surgical oncologist at Princess Margaret Cancer Center and head of its urology division. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Bob Comsick for Libby's Nimer. Thanks for joining me. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.